Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film community where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and you are listening to the Season 5 premiere. If you've listened before, you may have noticed I added a new word to the intro, and that word is foreign cinema. So much of art house cinema is foreign, but I thought it was time to go ahead and bring foreign cinema in explicitly, especially because of the topic of season five, which is contemporary Asian filmmakers. So for season five, we're going to look at a few filmmakers from different Asian countries. Uh, I always love watching a few movies by a single director when I can and kind of looking for the commonalities between them. So we're going to get a little taste of that by doing two films each from three directors. So six movies total. Here is the full lineup. First up, which starts today, is the Thai director, Apichit Pong Wirasathakal. First up, we are going to look at his film, Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives. And then next time, his film, Cemetery of Splendor. After that, we're going to move to South Korea with Bong Joon-ho, the acclaimed director of Parasite, looking at a couple of his earlier films, the first being The Host and then Snowpiercer. And then after that, Japanese director Hirokazu Koreeda, who has directed a number of films that we're going to look at Shoplifters, and then his first English language film, which just came out recently, which is called The Truth. I'm really excited to get into all these films, and I'm excited for my guest this season, Omaya Jones. Omaya is a big movie fanatic and film podcaster. He has helped curate the Arkansas Times film series here in central Arkansas, and he is incredibly insightful when it comes to movies. So, nice to have you on, Omaya. How are you, and what have you been watching lately? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Lately, I have been watching films by Michael Mann. So I recently started watching the 1980s Miami Vice TV series. And then as part of that, I also watched the um, 2006 adaptation, Mm. Um, just sort of looking for different things, stylistic things and trademarks of Michael Mann. And, you know, it's a film that I saw in theaters initially in 2006, and I don't think I really cared for it, but I ended up changing my opinion this time in part because I started to notice the stylistic touches, the way it's there. It's at times it's almost impressionistic and it's almost Hmm. an art house film with this sort of cops and robbers story grafted on top of it. Wow. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I actually have not seen that, but now I feel like I need to. Um, And Michael Mann is someone I need to catch up with several of his actually but yeah that's really interesting um so you've been watching like heat and and what are some of his other big titles mm-hmm. yeah so I, I recently watched heat earlier uh this year i rewatched manhunter mm-hmm. um and then i've i've sought out i'm a i'm big on physical media so i actually ordered last of the mohicans because nice. i have not seen that yeah um, i've not seen that either so i ordered an edition that has mm-hmm. It's got the uh, the edition that I have has both the theatrical cut and a director's cut. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I've been watching the 80s Miami Vice TV show, which yeah. he never directed an episode, but he did produce it. And he was very influential in the in the aesthetics of the film of the of the show. That is fascinating. I did not know that about him. Yeah. Well, there's a story about the creation of that show or supposedly executives said that they wanted MTV cops. Um, And so the pilot was written around that. And when you watch it, there are times where it does look like a music video. They're they're like long stretches where they allow what was popular music at the time 
to play over the the images on the screen hmm. and this sort of let the story be told visually um and and I, and I think that that was sort of unique for TV television at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've been. It's actually it's been a lot of fun. Um, although yeah. sometimes those episodes are surprisingly dark. Hmm. I've actually not much much of that show ever. I think I've seen like one episode. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I did not know Michael Mann was connected to it at all. So that gives me a reason to watch it. And there's certainly. Hmm. Um, a lot of time for TV here lately with the pandemic and everything. So that uh, might be a good thing to dig into. Um, well, I'll move on to what I've been watching. Um, and actually this is a, I frequently am talking about kids movies on here because of, I watch movies with my kids. And um, this one actually connects in some ways to today's film, Uncle Boon Me. Um, but it's a Pixar movie. It's one of the big Pixar movies that I had not yet watched. And it's uh, Coco. And I turned it on with my kids and I was like, I need to not check this one off my Pixar list because I've seen almost every other Pixar movie. Um, and I thought it was great. It really knocked me over. I thought it was so engaging and so vibrant and just really well told story. And then actually I watched it the same day that I watched Uncle Boon Me and saw some really interesting connections. And we'll kind of get into that, but looking at like another culture's um, views on spirituality and bringing those into the movie in a creative way. And uh, reflecting on death, that's a big thing, I think, in Uncle Boon Me and also in Coco uh, in a very family-friendly, kid, kid-friendly way. Um, but yeah, I thought there was some interesting parallels there. So we might mention Coco again as we go. But uh, have you seen Coco before? Uh, I have. Um, and I, I actually really liked it. I, I don't yeah. know why I said that like I was surprised. <laughs> I generally like Pixar films. Um, I, I actually really like children's films yeah um, or animated films i just like cartoons mm-hmm. um in general but yeah especially um the song remember me i think it is really memorable from that yeah really well done and and they would they, they bring it all together in a really emotional way at the end that uh yeah i thought I was really impressed by it so yeah that's what i've been watching lately another another family-friendly movie with my kids <laughs> well let's move on and talk about today's movie Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. Let's talk about Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. So this film, as we mentioned in the top of the show, is a, it's a from a Thai director, and it's uh, set in Thailand, and it's it's unusual, I think, in some ways. We were talking before the show, but it, it was originally part of a, an art installation, and then went on to win the top prize at Cannes Film Festival that year, the Palme d'Or. So I don't know, going into it, I was... It was not what I expected. I don't know exactly what I expected, but I had, I, I mean, looking at other Palm Door winners, um, 
most recently Parasite. It's a very different movie than Parasite. It's much quieter. It's kind of meditative. It's got some really incredible images in it. I think that's probably the thing that will stand out the most over time is the images, especially the the image of which is on the poster and everything is the monkey ghost, which is this dark figure with uh, these bright red eyes. That's just really an arresting thing. And used, it only comes up a few times in the film, but it, yeah, it's a really memorable thing. So yeah, let's, let's talk about um, the director a little bit. So I'll ask you to pronounce his name again, Amaya. Yeah. Uh, I pitch at Pong. We are a cethical. Um, yes. and, and I learned that from watching a YouTube video where he pronounced his name and I just kind of listened to it yeah. over and over <laughs> and over again. I was doing that because I knew I'd have to talk about him at some point because we screened one of his films, I think, in 2019 uh, as part of the Arkansas Times film series. Uh, and, I mean, we're going to be talking about that one next yeah, time, next uh, time yeah. Cemetery of Splendor. But it's funny. Like, I also so like one of the things that I, I looked at, I, I found this interview or a talk that he did from 2004. Uh, and the host of that or the moderator refers to him as Joe. So I guess at some mm. point. He had an American name and his American name was Joe because maybe he just felt like it was too difficult. I read. Yeah, I read a little bit about that. It's like fans came up with that and he decided to kind of run with it. Uh, yeah. So a pitch up on is he's a tie, He's he was born in Bangkok uh, and he says that he, he moved with his parents shortly after he was born to a more rural province of Thailand. And so um, one thing we see is just the, this depiction of rural life by the border, which is, uh, I think, sort of uh, representative of the way he grew up or where he yeah. grew up. And he studied architecture uh, before going to film school at the University of Chicago, where he was introduced to abstract mm. films. Uh, and that, I think, has been sort of, it's sort of defined the direction of his filmmaking and his career. Mm. But... It's also like to listen to him talk about his influences before going to film school. He references like Steven Spielberg and Raiders of the Lost Art hmm. and other popular films because uh, Thai cinema culture is like mainstream culture. Hmm. Uh, he and you know there are films being imported from around the world, um, and so growing up, that's mostly what he was exposed to. So he's really interested in like sci-fi and action. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily get some of that from yeah. watching his films. Because yeah, they're not. it's a little surprising to me. Yeah, uh, Apparently also like cinema came late to Thailand. Um, hmm. So it was introduced by the royal family. So someone from the royal family, it's a monarchy. So someone from the royal family basically went out, left the country, discovered cinema and brought it back. And a lot of early Thai films were depictions of like palace life. Hmm. And so like they they still have the Royal film still has a, a large presence in the film industry in Thailand. Mm. Um, but I pitch Pong is probably the most well-known Thai director outside of Thailand. Um, and is really, he's an art house guy. Um, but he still has these, mm. what's, what's the word I want to use? And these like sort of these mass audience roots, right. And, and interest. Yeah. So apparently, like the way the film school works in, at uh, Chicago is, it's really focused on things outside of film. Um, so the, not only is there there's a, a focus on like fine arts um, and other disciplines, as well as experimental film, which I think is unique for film schools. Um, at least for, for like my experience of other film schools, it's it's you know not as much production based yeah. as it is as it's focused on, on ideas. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, I don't know a ton about Thai cinema. I actually have been to Thailand. I um, I, I lived in China for a year as an English teacher and um, spent like three weeks in Thailand, like on for a meeting and then like a conference and then um, vacation basically. And I did go to the movies a few times there, and uh, movie theaters were really nice. But it, the the funny thing I remember about that is um, when I was going to see like big blockbuster things. But they, similar to how we would have um, like a the Pledge of Allegiance at a sporting event, before the movie, there's this mm. video tribute to the king. And you have to stand up and put your hand on your heart and um, wait for this video. Like everyone in the theater, this dark theater. It, it's just a really interesting cultural thing there. But yeah, so I, I don't know um, that much about yeah, Thai cinema, but that's really interesting to hear. Um, I'll probably get a little bit more into some other aspects of Thai culture. There's a there's a scene in Cemetery of Splendor, and there's also a deleted scene from Uncle Boonby that shows people sort of stopping in the middle of what they're doing and doing like the the Pledge of Allegiance, which I think is yeah. Um, so like the yeah, that's something that comes up in, in the films. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's also it's a place of sort of political turmoil. Yeah. Um, and I know that a pitch up on films have met controversy with the censor board, hmm. and, and some of them. Um, have either either have only been shown in Thailand in a butchered form or not shown at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I read one thing that was like just about uh, depicted doctors like drinking on the job or something, which and that was enough mm-hmm. to censor and not show in Thailand, which is so interesting because that would never be an issue mm-hmm. to show, you know, in a, in a Western film, uh, at least an American film. Oh yeah, so he 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 made a film called Blissfully Yours, mm-hmm. which depicts um two. Well, several people in different relationships that and it includes some pretty graphic sex. And I think that one's not been shown in Thailand. Uh, mm. Syndromes in a Century, which you just mentioned. Uh, yeah, like there are d- doctors depicted smoking on the job, holding hands, that kind of thing. Uh, mm. You know, they threatened to, to censor that. And there was a I, I know there was there was also like there was a coup uh in the last 10 years or so a military coup but i think the royal family is still in charge yeah. and so there's there are a lot of things going on politically in the country uh, and he's talked in interviews about uh, potentially leaving the country or not making films in thailand anymore or not being able to hmm. so let's talk about uncle boon me the movie so it um it is about a man uncle boon me and he has a kidney condition um and he is basically on his deathbed he's dying we don't know that exactly at the beginning but it becomes clear that he's uh, uh nearing the end of his life and that ends up kind of being one of the major themes of the movie it's one of those movies that kind of ends up being about all of life like it's sort of a, picture, a snapshot of a life it's really meditative uh, it's about life and death um, but it gets at that in a really kind of minimal understated kind of a way so we have uncle boon me and then he has um, some family members around him, but the I guess the first surprising thing that happens is we do see these these dark figures in the woods, these shadowy figures with red eyes, a few times, and then he's having dinner, and uh, a ghost suddenly appears in the chair uh, next to them, and it's his wife who died like 20 years prior. She's still her younger self. She's transparent at first, and then she sort of materializes, and they're all shocked, but then they just to kind of talk to her and have conversations. And then um, in comes one of these shadowy figures, and we find out that it is his son who has, he's basically in a different form, calls himself a monkey ghost, and that's what these creatures are. From there, 
they kind of help him pass into another life in a way. And it's, it kind of goes in a lot of different directions. It has some sort of side stories, which I want to talk about one of those in particular, but that's kind of a, a top level view of the film. Is, is, you think I'm leaving anything big out of that, Amaya? No, I don't, I don't think so. You know, the way the film plays out, everything is very understated mm-hmm. and it doesn't really spoon feed information. You know, it just sort of depicts, it, it, it depicts the scenario and it allows the viewers to sort of fill in the gaps um, on their own. And it, even to the point where some of the relationships between the characters or the nature of those relationships don't really make themselves clear until mm-hmm. near the end of the film. Yeah. I, I think that kind of surmises it. You know, to, like to me, the film is more about uh, the state that it puts you in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you use the word meditative, which I think is correct. And sort of like the, like the way it's shot, the way that the scenes are allowed to play out. Uh, there's minimal intervention of music, minimal variation of shots and things like that. So it's, to me, it's, it's more the experience of watching it and allows your brain to sort of slow down and think and ponder. Yeah. Um, is more important than any particular plot point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. And, you know, so on the last season of this podcast, we looked at what we call the Art House Starter Pack. We looked at six movies that were kind of gateway into Art House movies. And we ended up saying about all of them, like, kind of poetic and slow and meditative. And I think this is right in line with that. that like, you're right. That's the experience of it. And where it makes your brain go is is as valid as what you're seeing. You know, it's um, it's it's about the experience you have with it. Um, I think that's really true. And, and that's not always comfortable for American filmmakers or American moviegoers, film watchers. Uh, that's not the... We're, yeah, kind of we're used to being spoon fed a little bit more than that. So, yeah, I think that's what you said. It's, it doesn't spoon feed you at all. In fact, you kind of like have to really pay attention to grasp what's going on um, as you're just experiencing it. But yeah, I had to, the the big kind of reactions I had to it were just kind of looking at the the culture of it. It's something that I'm just not. Again, I'm not that familiar with Thai culture, but I have I know a little bits and pieces, so I was able to kind of pull some of that out. But it, the thing I think that was most interesting to me was the way it sort of intermingles physical and spiritual realms so we have really natural things happening between people and then ghosts and spirits um, just right alongside them some supernatural things happening particularly at the film's ending which i think we can yeah we can kind of not spoil what happens at the very end but we can maybe talk about it in a spoiler free way but yeah it brings those kind of supernatural things right alongside the the things that we would expect for one thing is that towards the end of the film there's a cave that they journey to that seems to symbolize more than just a cave. He actually, uh, Uncle Boonmi says something like, um, this cave is a sort of a womb. And so it, it's like they're journeying to a place that's between worlds or like, I'm not exactly clear, but uh, it's 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 a womb. It's maybe a almost like a cemetery um, or kind of, it, it's, it's kind of like there's a spiritual realm. It seems clear that uh, maybe this is something in Thai culture that there are spiritual realms that we have access to that um, we don't always see. So yeah, I don't know. What, do you have anything, any thoughts about kind of the, the spiritual sides of that? Actually, so I was also going to ask you about the monkey ghost in particular. Do you know uh, anything else about that culturally or do you have any thoughts about what those monkey ghosts are? Yeah. Well, so what I, what I know is just that um, I know I pitch has talked about sort of like the way uh, in Thai culture, spirits are, are a large part of it mm-hmm. spirits and ghosts and um and other kinds of creatures and it, and it almost is reminiscent to me of listening or reading about like icelandic culture right and, and gnomes or uh 
fairies or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a thing that's a part of the culture, and I think sort of like the representation of like the monkey ghost is, is sort of like harkens back to like old black and white films mm-hmm. that you would watch right growing up. So like there there are all these like cinematic references uh, to his to his childhood, but yeah, and I, I, what's one of the things that's notable to me is just the the way everything is presented and the way people react to it is sort of unremarkable. Like it's just sort of expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When like when Boomy's wife appears, nobody's really shocked. Yeah. Like there's one gasp um, and then they just get really they, comfortable they with just, it really mm-hmm. surprisingly fast. Yeah. And they, they talk to her just like she's supposed to be there and they offer her food and mm-hmm. drink. And then when his son comes, he, they, they offer him a seat at the table. Uh, and unlike something where, you know, people would be, more shocked at the the idea of a spirit coming back. They just sort of accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting about the cave, you know, uh, like that the cave is supposed to be the, the place of his f- first life, his first mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he feels the need to go back to that cave for, for that reason. I was looking at, I think it was an interview and I saw it might've been material for, it was for a different film. It was either blissfully yours or, mm-hmm one of his earlier features and there was a very similar cave. And I think one of the things you'll see throughout his films is there are certain things, uh, themes, names, characters, actors that he continues to insert in his films repeatedly, uh, almost to give you the chance to sort of draw these connections, which I think, um, it's, it's sort of a different way of thinking about, you know, yeah. film structures. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think most directors will want you to be thinking like, oh, that that actor played another character in a different film by me with the same name. Yeah. Um, but here he's inviting you to make to draw those connections. Yeah, it's an incredibly unique way to co- go about filmmaking, I think. Um, it, he just seems like a unique director. Uh, I found the quote I was thinking of about, so just thinking about spiritual realms. This is from the beginning of Roger Ebert's uh, review, which you, you sent to me or you put me on. And... Um, Here's what it says. Perhaps our conscious identities exist all the time and occasionally surface into the material world. If we were aware of that, it would make living within real time and space distracting. And then here's the part that I thought was really interesting. Wordsworth thought we remember heaven as babies. And so it's it's sort of, and it made me think about how, you know, time, we consider time to be linear, um, but that's sort of a construct probably. And so I think that kind of can play in here too. That's at least the meditation that I had. It was thinking about time itself and remembering past lives and the way Boonmi does. And, um, and actually on the, on the subject of past lives, do, do you think that some of the little side stories we see are connected in that way? So like, for instance, I want to talk a minute about the, um, the princess and the fish story. Uh, do you think that was supposed to be mm-hmm. Boonmi in a, in a, dip, a past life? I do. I, I, I do on the one hand, just because I'm very literal. Um, and so I, I guess I, I went into it initially thinking that if there's a, a film called uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives, if there are vignettes, they were probably depictions of his past life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the way I approached it the first time that I saw it. Although I will say the way the film is presented, it leaves it up to interpretation as to w- what, creature or character in any particular scenario yeah. scenario is meant to be uncle Boomy, right. right yeah it's very open-ended mm-hmm. but this sort of this goes into sort of the uh the background of the film but like one of the things that i think makes a film like this work is that there's actually a solid structure underneath of it mm-hmm. right so like you have to do a lot of work i think 
structurally on the narrative to free you up to make something that feels so loose. Mm -hmm. And um, I I was, I was watching some of the deleted scenes and there are actual, there, there were scenes with narration that were just completely excised from the film. And so, I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't say who was originally meant to be uncle Boomy in a previous life in the film, because in the film, it's just presented, it's open to the viewers open for your interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but like in that scene in particular, there, there's, there's some narration, um, beforehand that, um, is essentially Boomy saying, you know, this was me in a past life. Wow. Interesting. Uh, And I'm, I'm kind of glad it's not there. Yeah. You know? That's really interesting. I, I had that thought too about the very intro of the movie. There's a, like a, I like guess a water buffalo mm-hmm. or an ox or something. And it, there it just spends a few minutes with this animal. And I'm like, I wonder if that's supposed to be Boon Me. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, again, it doesn't tell us. <laughs> but um, that was, he kind of seems like he longs for freedom. He kind of runs away and then gets caught, is what happened. So I was like, I wonder if that's mm-hmm. going to play into something else. And um, I think it, maybe it kind of does. But I also love, I love the way that it goes into the, the different, um, side stories with no explanation yeah you know they're just sort of presented like i suddenly realized oh we're in a very different time period whenever we see the princess the princess who has some sort of undisclosed i mean some the visible scaling on the face but yeah yeah there's there's always in in these films there's always a scene that also always catches me off guard too and that is the one in this film yeah it, it was pretty shocking where that goes. Mm. I think, yeah, we can leave that unspoiled maybe too, because that's a, an interesting surprise for the viewer. But I think it is presented tastefully. Yeah, I think I so think. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did. I told my wife vaguely, I was like, my wife's not going to watch this movie. I was like, there's an interesting scene in, in which this happens. And I told her and she's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting thing about this movie, I think, is, yeah, it's it's so tied to its culture and, and its spirituality, too, like the spiritual beliefs of its culture. That's actually where the, the Coco connection comes in, because it, I didn't know anything about uh, Dios de los Muertos before I watched Coco, really. I knew a little bit, but it really helped me to understand and appreciate Mexican culture in that way. And I think Uncle Bumi actually does a similar thing um, for Thai culture. And so uh, we're used to seeing spiritual themes in movies that are very much from Christendom, from Western, um, Western religion over the centuries has largely been Christianity. And so we have, even in our horror movies and stuff, it's like Christian symbols come up again and again, if it's going to be something religious or spiritual. Uh, but this is entirely different. So it's like a completely different context. So it, it feels a little bit like coming into it as a Westerner, like I'm a fish out of water, <laughs> no pun intended, because we have a fish here. Um, but <laughs> that there's, like I feel like I'm grasping a little bit to, to grasp onto things, mm-hmm. um, but some things really come up. So another thing that I know very vaguely, I don't know any details about this, but when I was in Thailand, there were lots of um, like little shrines or um, either to deities or to lost loved ones. And they were frequently um, putting fruits and vegetables out um, in front of these. And it, the idea was that, these deities or these lost loved ones can access these foods in the afterlife or the spiritual realm. I'm not sure. Um, but that was having that little bit of knowledge was interesting watching this because there's so much about like when, when his wife, whose name was Hui, um, her ghost appears, um, she, 
heard their prayers for him. And that's why she came back. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. And they were just like, yeah, that makes total sense. And I think she even says something about after she died, um, receiving some things from them. Um, whether I can't remember if that was prayers or if that was physical items like food or something. Um, so that was really just an interesting thing that, yeah, like no real concept of that in Western culture. And then, um, about the reincarnation aspect of it. So that's right on the title of the movie is past lives. Um, so there is the story of the princess and the fish, as we've mentioned. And then uh, I talked about that, um, water Buffalo at the beginning, but then there's also lots of talk about, uh, I guess this is kind of getting into karma a little bit. Um, but about killing bugs that, that comes, that's like a little bit of a theme at one point, someone speaks ill of someone else because they kill bugs all the time. And then at one point, Boon Mi says, you know, I, I deserve this. I'm sick. I'm dying because I've killed too many bugs in my life and I've killed too many communists. And it's like, those, those are like equal footing. That was like a, a interesting line to me. And then, um, I think he's talking to his wife at that point and she says, well, you were only killing the communists because you were trying to help your country. So that gets into the, the political realm a little bit there. But then we have, um, and this is aunt, we see her killing bugs in different moments in the film. And there's also a little bit of, um, she says some things that are maybe like a little racially charged that are kind of troubling early on. And, and so I don't know if it was like equating, like, you know, she's just not as enlightened in some way. She doesn't care about killing bugs and she's kind of racist. And like those things kind of felt like they went together. I don't know if I read too much into that, but I thought that was an interesting thing. And again, that's just not a part of the culture here that, um, I had really any familiarity with. So I thought that was very interesting. Well, I, I, it's funny because like the way I read some of those things were, they reminded me a lot of here. Mm. Um, so one, Arkansas in particular, mm. you know, we have a reputation for getting things late. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so hearing a pitch upon talk about his rural uh, upbringing and the province that he, he grew up in yeah. and sort of the rate at which technology is adopted sort of reminded me about things about Arkansas. Yeah. But when the way that she talks about um, the character who's an immigrant did not sound that different to me yeah. from like, you know, some of the conversations around immigration in the States. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so yeah, in, in terms of like the spirituality and the, and the ideas around reincarnation, you know, that is very unique, but then there were these other things that I thought seemed sort of universal yeah, and, very and familiar. translated mm -hmm. very readily. Yeah. Um, especially just like this, there's this sort of rural urban divide I was going to say, you know, the, the whole film takes place in the countryside, um, but then the very, very end, they go back to a city in an urban environment, and you just see the, the differences between the two and how the characters exist in those different spaces. Yeah. And, and that comes up, too, and he talks about a dream. So when they're, they're in the cave or on the way to the cave, he talks about a dream that he's had. Um, and it's kind of an unusual sounding dream. And then actually the film cuts into these film stills, like almost a, a slideshow of images, um, which would seem to make sense in the context of a museum exhibit, right? Like, uh, that, that's like, oh yeah, this is for um, part of an art installation. So that kind of makes sense that you would have still images, but it's, it's really unusual in the middle of a film. <laughs> it, it felt unusual to suddenly have like a slideshow. But over that, he's talking about this dream and he's talking about the uh, being in the city and like he's a person from the past in some sort of futuristic city and they're rooting out people of the past. Like they think really ill of these people from the past, which apparently is a thing they're used to. I thought it was just really interesting. And I thought it um, kind of pointed maybe to the city divide that you're talking about. Like 
thinking ill of um, people from the country because they are less sophisticated uh, or something like that. And sometimes, and over the actually the images that we're seeing is like soldiers um, seeming like they're capturing. Uh, maybe it's a monkey ghost. I think it's one of the monkey ghosts, but it looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I, I don't know if that had some sort of racial or political message that we have some, something, some part of the natural world being um, tied up and uh, tried to be subjugated in some way. So I don't know. That's, there's a lot going on there. And I think it's another one of those moments that's like, you need to experience this yourself and kind of come to your own conclusion with it. But yeah, what did you think about all of that? Yeah. Well, the future, the future dream sequence is very interesting. Um, one, I, I'm just a sucker for still images in film. Mm. I think I don't, I don't know why. Um, but um, to have that also in conjunction with earlier, which you mentioned um, when Boomi says that in a his his fate is karma for the killing of communists mm-hmm. in the way that that sort of. Yeah. It's not even really commented upon, you know, it's just sort of, it's this thing that is just sort of stated. Um, and apparently, yeah, in the sixties, there was a communist or an attempted communist insurrection in the army basically went in to the Northern provinces and they killed many people um, in order to put them down. And so like that's, there's sort of grappling with this militaristic aspect of the history but it doesn't yeah. dwell on it. You know, it's just, mm. it's sort of just very quickly it's commented and then goes away. But then yeah, it's like seeing the soldiers in that future dream sequence, you know, it, there's, there's always this sort of dark foreboding about the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it does yeah. have to do with the political situation and the fact that when this film was made, he'd already dealt with the censorship board and you can feel, you can feel things getting to the point where like, you don't even know if it's safe for you to stay there um, I believe in an interview he's talked about friends who have spoken out politically who have just been disappeared, not disappeared, but like locked mm. up, put in jail. Yeah. Um, one person, you know, was arrested because they liked an article on Facebook that was critical of the royal family. And so wow. I, all, all of these sort of depictions of like the military are potentially ominous. Um, and I think it's just a reflection of what is going on domestically um, in Thailand. I, I would say that there's, to me, there's this connection between dreams and sleep that I think is, is kind of worth dwelling on. Maybe more with um, Cemetery of Splendor. Yeah, I read a little bit about, about that it, but, in connection with uh, AP Jitpong. But yeah, go on. Well, just the idea of uh, an artist who doesn't care if you fall asleep during those movies and as long as you know he ho- he hopes that if you do fall asleep, it influences your dreams. Um, Hmm. And the concern with like memory and time. um, I'm going to sound like a broken record because this is also going to come up with Cemetery of Splendor, but the idea that like like locations, uh, physical places have like a a history that people are often unconnected to. So like in this film, you have Uncle Boomy and his past lives and potentially they're all taking place on the same place they're all in thailand everything that's depicted right um, and you just see like these different eras of, of time in the same place and how history sort of is always marching forward hmm. but that that comes up in a big way in cemetery of splendor so i, I might hold off on, on yeah. some of that well this is only kind of maybe sort of related but there's a quote from this movie that i really liked um so we he's just coexisting with a couple of ghosts basically and that's just part of the story mm-hmm. um but at one point 
um, I think it's the ghost of Hui, says to him, ghosts are not attached to places, but to people, to the living. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's a little bit of an inversion of the Western expectation too. So, and we have haunted houses and we have, um, yeah, places are haunted more than people. But, uh, and, and again, haunting is probably not the right word to use here because in, in this, the, the spirits or the ghosts are, um, his family members and he's glad they're there and they're with him and kind of towards the end of his life. And it's kind of, uh, just a beautiful thing. So yeah, I, I really liked that quote. Uh, several quotes in this just kind of made me pause and think. And, and I, I was writing them down in my notes as I was going, there is actually, there's one thing I would highlight is, uh, I just think it's really sweet. The scene where we see ways ghost, watching over her sister as she sleeps mm. and then as she wakes up and the sun comes up she disappears yeah oh my gosh yeah i did have that sense of uh, that mm-hmm. I, I think that's just, that's just a wonderful image so there's the sleeping there and then there's actually sleeping um later on in the cave and then it's i think the night and day isn't a little bit interesting too because they just go into this cave and you can't really see and actually on the way to the cave there's some kind of harrowing shots of trying to go through the the forest in the dark. And I almost wondered if he was going to be attacked or something. Uh, but then um, they get to the cave and the next morning, you realize the cave is actually beautiful. And there's like, it's, there's like a, I don't know the, the, the geology word, but uh, like there's a, a roof opening in the cave and there's a, a big tree. And um, yeah, just kind of along the, the lines of, of sleep and, and then sleep as it maybe is parallel with death too, I think because death is sort of a theme of, of this. And so actually I wondered if, you know, the, the march to the cave was kind of representative of so yeah, as history keeps going forward as you were saying, but then we also have just human life. Um, what is a life or maybe what is many lives as he's recalling his past lives, but it almost felt like he's going towards the end. Like this cave is maybe representing the end and so the, the journey there represents life itself. And so he's got people he loves alongside him and they're sometimes there and sometimes they're not. And it just kind of made me look at all of life and it's a sort of a journey to an end, you know. Well, let's talk about the um, the ending of the whole movie. Again, I think we can kind of talk about it without spoiling it, but people who have seen it might get some some benefit out of it. And basically, I don't exactly know what to make of the very ending. There's a kind of a surprising thing that happens um, we see, um, Tong is the character who, uh, he's the immigrant character and he's become a monk. It's not clear whether he was a monk the whole time or, or what, uh, at least it wasn't clear to me. Actually, there's a funny, um, line when he's talking to the two women, one of them says, you're a monk, not a man. So I thought that was an interesting <laughs> like dichotomy of, um, looking at, again, like this kind of the spiritual world and, um, him taking taking things really seriously and there being like a difference there. But um, yeah, what do you, do you have any thoughts about the very end of the movie and, and what it might mean? That, that in scene, I feel it, it always kind of perplexes me. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what, can we talk spoilery? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's give a little spoiler warning and, and let's jump into spoilers just for the end of the movie. Cause we're going to be wrapping up okay. soon. So yeah, spoiler alert. If you have not watched uncle Boone me, um, yeah. go watch it before you listen to the end of this episode. Yeah. And, and, and also I, I think, so like Tong, you know, Tong and Jen decide to go out for food, but we see this thing where their spirits are sort of separated from their bodies and they sort of watch themselves watching TV yeah. before they go out to a restaurant to eat. Um, 
And I'm trying to remember in that scene if it's clear that Jin is aware of what is happening. But Tong, I believe, is certainly aware that he sort of sees himself. I think she, it seems like she is aware. He kind of points and she's like, it seems like she's aware, but she's like used to the idea. It's like, okay, let's just go. Like, don't worry about it. And then, and then, you know, we get the scene of them in the diner eating as the soundtrack comes up. And I think for the first time, mm-hmm. perhaps in the whole movie, um, there's this non-diegetic. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's a part of the scene or not, but this music starts playing, which is, yeah. he ends a couple other films the same way where there's just, it's almost like an extended music video yeah. of some sort, but. And I think like maybe there's some, I don't know if it's supposed to be like this level of enlightenment or awareness that they've reached or, or acceptance mm. uh, or what. Uh, I think more striking to me in that scene is this idea that we've now seen this whole movie where Jin and Tong have been with Uncle Boomy. And Jin is saying to her daughter, she's trying to think of what she should do. Um, and perhaps she'll make like a, a funeral book. Mm-hmm. But then she says she doesn't really know what she'd write in it because she didn't know him that well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that to me like throws in the question, what what was the nature of the relationship? Were they just in-laws uh, who after her sister died, they didn't really speak or see each other anymore mm-hmm. or, or or what? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I That line stuck out to me too. And I wondered if it was more um, sort of a comment on he, she knew Boon Me, but she didn't really know him like his internal mm-hmm. spirit or something that you know he's he's lived all these different lives and he can recall his past lives um and that she's like well i only know like the just the tip of the iceberg of who he was um, and so i'm not qualified to write a, a book about him that was that was kind of the thought i had and that kind of went along with with the the doubling of tong um and mm-hmm. i i didn't know if that yeah if it was his spirit leaving his body or um if it was just some comment on it kind of the same along the lines of, you know, you're a monk, not a man, just that he has these dual, this dual nature and that we all have different parts of ourselves that, uh, this sort of literalizing <laughs> there's two literal tongs in the room at this point. Um, yeah, I wondered if that was just kind of a, a comment on identity, but again, that's, I think all readings of the film are valid. And, and that was just kind of where my, my mind went with it. Yeah. Also, I was interested that, that, that actor plays a character named Tong in, in another film by a pitch Pong hmm. called Tropical Malady. And he's also in Syndromes in a Century um, and in Cemetery of Splendor playing a character named Ting, T-E-N-G, <laughs> as opposed to T-O-N-G. So there's this question to, as to, to what, is there supposed to be a relationship between these characters? And we can sort of ponder huh. that. It's very interesting. I can't wait. And it makes me want to watch all of his other things. Well, I think that can wrap up our discussion of Uncle Boon Mi, who can recall his past lives. We are, again, next going to talk about his, uh, I think it's his next film in his filmography, uh, which is Cemetery of Splendor. And uh, I'm excited. I haven't watched it yet. I got the DVD from the library today, so I'm going to uh, be watching that really soon. And I'm excited to, to dig into that. Thank you, Amaya, for being here. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you again next time. Um, oh, thank, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that will do it for this episode. If you want to support the show, you can leave us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're using. You can keep up with Art House Garage on social media. 
We are at Arthouse Garage on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. You can also find video reviews on YouTube and some event coverage and movie reviews on the blog at arthousegarage.com. You can subscribe to the email, monthly email newsletter, arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. And you can hit me up on email at andrew at arthousegarage.com. That will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.